This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 205, Bank on Yourself Policy Loans versus Everything Else, Round 1. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. Before we get into the content, I got to just say, have you subscribed to our podcast yet? There's a lot of ways to keep up and follow our show. Uh, And one, of course, the best and simplest way is to go straight to our website, which is nyafinancialpodcast.com slash subscribe. And you can be made aware of everything we're up to, not just our weekly episodes, but live calls, office hours, Q&A with me and our esteemed guests, and other opportunities that you can take advantage of. But make sure you go and subscribe either through our email or through your podcast player of choice. The famed patriot and American revolutionary Patrick Henry once yelled, give me liberty or give me death. He said that at the beginning of the American Revolution. Now, spurred by the COVID-19 pandemic, the economic jolt that we all went through, the country's motto has, I think, maybe been changed from, you know, give me liberty or give me death to forget financial liberty, just give me debt, debt. In this episode, and also in the following episode, we're going to be comparing how bank-on-yourself type policy loans compare to other forms of loans that mimic what bank-on-yourself does. Now, it really does matter where you keep your money. I say that quite a bit on this show, but I'll also say it really matters where you keep your debt. That's right. It, it matters not just from a financial perspective, you know, how much interest you're paying another party like a bank or a credit card or the privilege of using their money. But it matters also on an emotional level, a social level, and a psychological level as well. You know, studies show us what many of us already know, that debt is about much more than just money. Being in debt can lead to a number of other emotional and psychological issues. The average American has $15,950 in credit card debt alone. That's the average, guys. That means if you have less than 16 grand of credit card debt, somebody else has that much more. Amazing, that much credit card debt. 39% of Americans carry credit card debt month to month, according to creditcards.com. Meanwhile, the average college student will graduate this school year with a whopping $40,000 in student loans, and almost one in 10 of us owe more than $100,000 in student debt, according to the Federal Reserve Board survey. So if you round out that debt problem with car loans, mortgages, medical debt, personal loans, other loans and obligations, we're talking about a massive tidal wave of debt around this country. Now, according to a Federal Reserve study, this is way back at page 837, guys. So this is the kind of research you don't have to do. We'll do it for you. (laughs) But the United States median household income is less than about $59,000. But the median debt for the couple, the same American couple with children, is $122,000. Let that sink in. That means that the median debt for a couple with children is double 
the median income for this same couple. That means if they simply stop paying for everything else, stop buying groceries, stop paying for rent, stop driving a car, if 100% of their income went solely to paying off the debt they already have, they would still not be debt-free for two whole years. And that assumes they're not going to spend anything else and they don't take out any more debt along the way. Now, how does that make you feel? Two years of full indentured servitude. How does that make you feel? Remember, the word median means that half of Americans have less debt than this, and the other half of Americans have even more debt than this, meaning half of Americans need to spend more than two years of their income entirely on debt payments just to be debt-free. Now, that debt affects people in different ways. There's no common tolerance out there for debt. And while one person might suffer over just maybe say $1,000 of credit card debt, somebody else may not think twice until his debt exceeded, you know, 200 grand. I would say too that depression, emotional depression and anger and resentment really spark when you are under that much debt. You know, there's a, there was a study done at the University of Nottingham that found that, you know, those who struggle to pay off debts and, and loans are more than twice as likely to experience many other mental health problems, including depression, anxiety, and, and severe anxiety in some cases. And a spouse or partner may resent the other person for how they are dealing with their debt problem, their, their joint problem of paying off that debt. It's not uncommon to blame your partner for coming into the relationship with more debt. Maybe you lost the job. Maybe you're not making enough money or spending habits that may have led to just falling down the debt staircase. In fact, arguments about money are the top predictor of divorce, according to Kansas State University assistant professor Sonia Britt. And it's not just our spouses, significant others that become the targets of anger and resentment. You could also resent your employer. You might resent family and friends that are dependent on you or otherwise affecting your financial health. If you're a college grad, you might start to blame counselors and parents for not truly explaining the effect of student loans. Guys, I'm starting to meet dentists, graduates from dental school with $400,000 as their average debt load. It's massive, massive. And in reality, many people resent themselves. At the end of the day, it's about you know their own anger toward themselves about the decisions they made that led them into all this debt. Whether it was excessive spending or opting out of health insurance, whatever it was, it's not uncommon to look on yourself, you know, turn inward with regret. Now, you may be listening to this, uh, a financial podcast after all, among the lucky 20% of Americans that don't have any debt at all. Now, first of all, good for you. That's awesome. Pat on the back. Amazing. And, but as we mentioned in episode 71, way back at episode 71, add that one to your podcast queue, guys. Go, go back and, and listen to that one. I'll wait here while you take care of that. Okay, done. All right, great. So as I mentioned in episode 71, just being a saver does not protect you from this insidious problem of financing. The problem of debt and financing happens even when you pay cash. We are all in the banking business. All of us are. How is that possible? Remember, you finance everything you buy. Either you pay interest to another bank for the privilege of using their money, or you use your own money and you pass up interest you could have earned on the money had you not bought the car or the vacation and left it invested instead. Case in point, if you just paid last night 30 grand in cash for a brand new car, good for you. Good for you. No car payments. That's great. 
But imagine you do that eight more times over your lifetime. That means you'll have to save in a savings account, right? Uh, I predict it'll be about 350 bucks a month to save and do a savings account for those cars over your lifetime. Now, if you could have left that $350 into an interest-bearing account over 50 years at 5%, earning 5%, that would grow to almost $900,000 just for a couple of cars. What do you have to show for your money after 50 years? You just got a bunch of old clunkers, right? Rusted out clunkers. And you don't have the $900,000. So here's the reality of things. Here's the truth. When you pay cash, you're stealing from your future self. You use cash, so you finance it from your future self. Your future self is $900,000 poorer since you paid cash for those eight cars over your lifetime. Now we're getting into how to avoid this problem. That's what this episode and the next one is really all about, how to avoid the problem and how financing really works and, and what options Americans have, as well as a secret strategy the wealthy have used for generations to beat the banks and these financing rackets at their own game. I'm going to show you how you can fire your banker, avoid the problem of paying cash, and become your own source of financing. In this episode, and also in the following episode, we're going to be comparing how bank on yourself type policy loans compare to everything else. And surprisingly, I'll even talk about how using the policy, the bank on yourself designed life insurance policy, how it even beats paying cash. So even those of you guys listening who are absolute purists, who stick closely to your cash envelopes, right, for everything, there may be some things you could learn in here as well. So let's begin. So when you need to cover a major expense, a major expense, okay, there are really just several options. Sometimes life throws you a curveball and you've got to look for outside resources. That's just life. Life happens like that. If this happens, remember, not all forms of borrowing are created equal. Some have financial drawbacks. Some have some advantages to them. And whether you get the best rate or you get the money quickly, you know, these are some of the features of several different types of loans out there. Make sure you're considering not just the advantages, but also assessing the risks of different forms of debt. Now, there are typically three things to consider when getting a regular loan. And typically, you're only able to, you know, take advantage of two of these. And those three things are speed, the interest rate, and the flexibility of repayment. So the speed at which you get the money, the interest rate you're charged, and the flexibility of repayment. Typically, you can only choose two of those. When you need to borrow a substantial sum of money, you've got to consider several different sources. When you buy, let's say, a big ticket item, whether it's a car, a home entertainment center, uh, you know, fixing up the kitchen, a luxury cruise, you can pay for it in one of three ways. One, you can pay cash for it. Two, you can finance it. Or you can lease it, which is basically 100% interest payments, essentially. You're renting it, basically. But there's actually a fourth way to buy things. Financing major purchases with a loan against a life insurance policy that meets all the requirements of bank on yourself, the bank on yourself concept, which I believe beats financing leasing, or even directly paying cash. So here's a quick overview of how bank on yourself type life insurance policy loans work. First, you're able to get your money guaranteed. You simply tell the insurance company how much you want to borrow up to the limit, which is roughly about 90% of your total cash value. And you tell them where you want to send the money. You don't have to fill out any nosy credit applications. 
You don't even have to tell the insurance company why you need the money. The company, the insurance company sends you a check or direct deposit right into your bank account within a few business days. And that's it. You have your money. The company will then charge you some interest. Usually it's a very competitive rate. After all, they have your policy as collateral, so they don't have to charge you exorbitant interest rates. And that'll just simply be added to your loan balance. That's the first piece. The second piece, after you've taken your loan, there is an uninterrupted compounding of your money inside the life insurance policy's cash value. So if your policy is from one of the handful of companies that offer this specific feature, you'll continue to earn the exact same growth in your policy as if you had not taken the policy loan. It's huge. It's game-changing. That, that feature is game-changing. And if you pay back your loans at the interest rate the company charges, you're going to end up with the exact same cash value you'd have if you hadn't used the policy at all, if you hadn't borrowed the cash at all. So for example, let's say at the end of year 25, it's year 25, uh, your policy is projected, let's say in the future, to have $400,000 of cash value at that time. Let's say if you had not borrowed anything against the policy, you'd just been socking away money in your policy for 25 years, and now you have 400 grand. Well, that's great, but let's go into the multiverse. Let's go into another scenario. Now, let's say in this world, you decide in year five, you do want to access this cash value. You do borrow some money to buy a car. And then let's assume that you pay back that loan to the policy at the interest rate the company charges over the next five years. At the end of year 25, fast forward now to year 25, your cash value would still be $400,000, the same as if you hadn't borrowed against it to purchase anything at all. That's huge. Now, what if you borrowed and repaid more than once? What if you bought four or five or a dozen cars out of this policy? As long as you pay back the loan at the interest rate the company charges, your cash value will be the same as if you hadn't borrowed. I mean, guys, is that cool or what? That is awesome. Uninterrupted compound growth. So when you take out a policy loan, the money doesn't come directly out of the policy. This is the, the eye-opener moment right now. So if you're multitasking, come back to me for just a minute. When you borrow against one of these life insurance policies, the money does not leave your account. It's not coming directly from your policy. The money that you borrow is coming from the insurance company's general fund which is basically a big pool of cash from all the company's policies. And the loan payments you're making are going back to that general fund. Here's why it's important that your life insurance policy loan does not come from your cash value, but rather from the insurance company's general fund. Your policy did not leave its account value. It simply continues to grow, unaffected by policy loans that you might have. If your policy has a non-direct loan feature, that means when the insurance company sends you the, the check for the loan, you're not actually reducing how much growth your cash has. In fact, whether you have an outstanding loan or not, it will continue to earn interest because you're simply using your cash value as collateral. The money came from the pool of cash that they were keeping in reserves for death benefits and other operation expenses. They were going to put that money to work elsewhere bonds, real estate, whatever, but you called them up and asked for it first. And you always have first rights to your own cash value. It's written right into the contract. But guys, I want to be clear. Don't assume you can do this with the life insurance policy your uncle sold you 20 years ago. Only a handful of life insurance companies have this specific feature. It's called non-direct recognition loans. That's one of the reasons why working with 
my firm, myself, or one of the 200 bank on yourself professionals is so crucial. You know, we know the companies that offer this feature. We know which ones have limits on them. So by the way, we regularly review life insurance policies from folks who reach out to us. You know, folks are listening to this podcast. I don't know who you guys might be. I'd love to meet you. And if you just want a second opinion, we've evaluated thousands of policies that were set up over the years by other insurance agents. And we'll be able to give you an honest review as to how the policy was designed, whether it was set up properly, set up with these features I'm talking about right now. So if you'd like to reach out to us to discuss this, please contact us. Just go to our website. Again, the website is nyafinancialpodcast.com and click on request a meeting and let us know that you'd like us to review your existing life insurance contract. Happy to do that. And we'll work out how to get the papers over to us. Okay, so in addition to this mind-blowing concept that your money can essentially be doing two things at once, there's more for us to discuss with regard to policy loans. So again, we've talked about the idea of how simple it is to get the money out. We've talked about number two, how incredible it is that you get uninterrupted compounding. Third, guys, there's no required repayment schedule on this policy loan. So you may make payments when you like in the amount that you'd like. Just remember that there's a loan on the policy, but you're in charge of how it gets repaid or even if it gets repaid. And if you pass away and you've not paid off the loan, the outstanding loan balance will be paid off or simply just deducted from the death benefit. And the remaining death benefit will go to your policy's beneficiaries, your kids, grandkids, whoever, income tax-free. Fourth, you benefit from interest you pay on the policy loan. This one gets a little wild, so hold on with me here. The life insurance loans are different from every other kind of loan I can find. When you pay interest to any other bank, any other lender, that is vaporized money. You know, when you pay loan interest to a credit card or a mortgage, you don't see that interest again. But when you pay interest on a policy loan from a participating life insurance company, you do benefit from the interest. The interest you pay is the income to the insurance company, and that's part of the profits the insurance company receives. Now, dividends that you receive from that same insurance company are going to be based on the company's profits. See what I'm going on here? See where I'm headed? So you contributed to those profits when you paid interest on your policy loan. If you sent $1,000 of loan interest into uh, to the insurance company last year, they recorded $1,000 of profit into their general fund, and then they share that profit as a dividend to you and all the other policyholders. You're a, you're a shareholder. You're, in essence, an owner of the mutual life insurance company you have a contract with. Guys, this is not unlike owning a mortgage company and then personally buying a house. Let's say you need to buy a house. And let's say your business happens to be selling mortgages. So, in that situation, would you use somebody else's bank to mortgage your house? Of course not. Of course not. You'd use your own mortgage company, right? Right? Now, let's say that in this mortgage company, you and I were partners. We own the mortgage company together, mutually owned. If you borrow money from our company, what do you think? Would I want you to pay back your mortgage? Think about that for a minute. Of course I would. Of course I would want you to pay back your mortgage. I want this mortgage company we started together to be profitable. And don't you too? Don't you? Now, one final question. Who would benefit from the mortgage payments 
that you would be making each month to our company that we own together. A couple of hints in there. Who would benefit from the mortgage payments that you'd be making each month? Of course, you would, and I would. We would both benefit together. So wouldn't you be directly benefited by the interest that you pay to the company that you own? Of course you would. It's the same with a mutually owned life insurance company. We all own the insurance company together, all of us policyholders, and thus the interest that you're paying on policy loans is a part of the profits the company shares in together. There's no us and them here. It's just us. It's just us. There are no wealthy insurance executives flying private planes off your back. I promise. I've seen their headquarters. I've seen their cafeteria food. There's no wealthy insurance executives getting rich off you. Now, there is something you need to be aware of with life insurance policy loans. And I'm going to mention this a few times throughout the next two episodes. But it's important we catch this. There's an outstanding loan balance against the policy loan. And it's totally on your terms on when you repay the loan. Okay. But the outstanding balance on a policy loan that's taken and then forgotten about for decades, whatever, is going to grow. And over a long period of time, that could become a significant policy loan balance. And any unpaid loan interest will be added to the outstanding balance of your loan. Now, thankfully, it's, it's easy to avoid this unfortunate possibility. And again, if you're working with us, a coach, a financial planner, a financial associate, you'd be able to work with a bank on yourself professional that's trained to monitor your loans and watch them. We have six month reviews with you and annually, regularly, we're making sure that that loan balance is well below your total cash value. Uh, if necessary, we may even decide to use some of the policy cash to cover your loan interest should we have to do that. So what about traditional banks, credit cards, finance companies, and so forth? Now, financing with a bank on yourself type policy loan, I would say hands down beats traditional financing. First, you have to understand that financing will include leasing. In fact, leasing is usually the most expensive way to finance something. With a lease, you're still using somebody else's money and you are paying for the privilege to buy the car or whatever, the house. And you even have to give back whatever it is you were leasing at the end of the lease. Otherwise, you're going to have to fork over the money to buy it outright. So, of course, you could finance that buyout, but that's going to make things even more expensive. So, I'm not a big fan of leasing arrangements with cars and more. Whether you make a big purchase with traditional financing or with a lease, the first thing that happens is somebody's going to run a credit check on you. Now, guys, this is not the case with a bank-on-yourself-designed policy loan. There's no credit check. You cannot be turned down for a policy loan. Your credit rating and credit score have literally no effect on the interest rate that you're going to be charged for a policy loan. And the interest you pay on a policy loan is typically, again, well below competitive interest rates that are out there. And, and just to give you some idea, over a four-year period, it might be around 2% annual percentage rate on how these policy loans are charged. Now, in addition to those benefits, interest you pay is calculated at simple interest, not compound interest, which is the case with every other type of debt I'm aware of, credit cards, mortgages. So remember, when it's simple interest, that means you're paying your principal down first, and then you pay off any accumulated interest. That's why you're able to get such low interest rates. Like I said, over four years, it might be close to 2%. And meanwhile, the policy is growing on your full balance, even what you've borrowed out at compound interest. 
Now, guys, this alone would be enough to get the spreadsheet nerds like me to never use another bank ever again. But we're going to sadly have to quickly gloss over this pretty awesome piece of the puzzle here. We might do another whole episode on the power of simple interest versus compound interest. But if you just can't wait, go back and listen to episode 32 for more detail about how those loans grow uh, and how it you know, beats paying cash. Now, again, life insurance loans as compared to bank loans. Let's take a look at this. So again, I mentioned there's no credit application required. The loan has no effect on your credit profile or credit score. And there is no timetable for policy loan repayments. Awesome. Life insurance policy loans also are going to give you greater flexibility than a bank will. You have great flexibility. I mean, it's just unbelievable, limitless flexibility almost in repaying life insurance loans. You pay back the loan on your schedule, not some bank schedule. You know, you can skip a payment as you need to, and any unpaid interest will be added to your loan. And as I mentioned, you, I recommend that you pay at least attention to the interest that's accumulating even though it's not compounding, it is accumulating. And maybe you pay that interest down once a year. That's a great strategy. Very simple. If, if nothing else, you pay that interest down every year. And the loans that are taken for retirement income are one exception to that rule. You know, in retirement, you don't need to or, or should feel the need to pay off the policy loans. Now, when you take out your loan, your bank on yourself professional would help you set up a repayment plan typically. And that's part of what makes this successful. Rather than just you know ripping money out of the, the piggy bank, uh, I'm here. Your advisors are here to help you set up a repayment plan with payments that automatically come out of your checking account each month. It's very simple. The logistics are pretty painless and set up pretty uh, seamlessly. Now, do you have to follow the plan that I set up for you? No, of course not. You want to be a responsible borrower. In a perfect world, you'd follow the plan to a T. But guys, you're in the driver's seat. If you have an unforeseen emergency, you call the shots. Just lower down the payment, the loan repayment. And then you can get yourself back on track when you're back on your feet. After all, you're banking on yourself. So you get to set that up. But remember, you don't want to cheat the banker. You don't want to steal from your own bank. And again, you'll have the continued growth of cash value all along the way. Now, let's move on to bank on yourself and how it compares to paying cash for major purchases. Now, some people are going to wonder why I've got such a problem with paying cash. I mean, isn't that sort of the gold standard for financial planners, for the financial regimen and discipline of each, each of our clients' lives? Well, yeah, I mean, at some level, sure, it's, it, maybe it beats financing things. And many people think that once they can pay cash for all their major purchases, they've somehow arrived at financial nirvana. But I believe that there is an arrival syndrome that comes with paying cash. And the arrival syndrome is one of the most devastating financial symptoms that we can be burdened with. So Nelson Nash says, the arrival syndrome is a phenomenon that has limited the achievements of mankind more than anything else. When this thing, this arrival syndrome infects us, we stop growing, we stop learning, we rot. Wow, That's, he's not mincing words there. So why am I hating on paying cash for things? Well, guys, there's a tremendous hidden cost to paying cash. Every time you pay cash for something, i.e. when you're withdrawing it from a bank account and sending funds to the vendor, that money is no longer in your possession. It's out of your control. So not only do you lose the liquidity, but you also lose some future growth potential you could have had on that money had you not made the purchase. 
So what do you have to show for your money at the end of your lifetime? You just get a bunch of old smelly cars with, you know, French fries in the backseat and broken retirement dreams. So go back to those numbers I shared earlier in the episode. If you had just bought eight cars with cash, you'd lose, again, $900,000. And when you pay cash, you're stealing from your future self. Now, that's worse to me than being an honest paying borrower at a bank. Like I say, I would rather be an honest borrower at a bank than steal from my future self. And that's the honest truth there. That's my problem with paying cash for things. Again, if you want to learn more on this, go to listen to episode 13, where we talk about opportunity cost. Now, there is no lost opportunity cost with a bank on yourself life insurance policy loan. Bank on yourself type life insurance policies usually have that non-direct recognition loan feature, and they're issued by participating, meaning dividend paying life insurance companies, and they're whole life insurance, never indexed or universal life policies. Hold on to next episode. We're going to get more into why you cannot do this with your indexed universal life policy. Now, when you borrow against your policy, you continue to get that same guaranteed annual cash value increase and the same dividend, just as if you hadn't taken out the loan. And on the other hand, when you withdraw from your savings to pay cash for things, earnings on money that you withdraw stops instantly, crash, back down to $0 and you don't earn interest on money you no longer have control over. And then you can only start earning interest again slowly as you replenish your savings. So you've lost all that time and you've lost all that opportunity to earn interest until that money's back in your bank account, only to crash again, because now it's time to buy your next car. But this is not the case. It's not the case with a bank on yourself type policy. Your cash value continues to grow. And because of that, there's no opportunity cost with a policy loan. Let me go back and say that again. There's no opportunity cost. You know, the idea of opportunity cost is when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to everything else. When you say yes to that $10,000 car stereo, you're saying no to, you know, $80,000 of, of retirement money in the future, for example. And in this case, with a bank on yourself policy loan, there's no opportunity cost. Your asset continues to grow. The cash value continues to grow at the same rate as if you had not taken the loan. Here's what I mean. Let's say you have a life insurance policy loan from one of our bank on yourself approved companies. And let's say that you pay back the loan at the same interest rate the company charges. At the end of the policy loan period, whether it's in two months or 20 years, you're still going to end up with the exact same cash values if you hadn't taken out the loan. So saving money in a bank on yourself policy first, then using it to pay cash to make major purchases, it's going to let that money compound even when you spend it elsewhere. And it solves that problem of continuously interrupting the growth of your money when you spend or invest it. So at the end of it all, guys, doesn't it make sense to finance major purchases in this way, in such a way that you can receive the most favorable terms? You know, we all have finite amount of money that's going to flow through our fingertips. And when you use a life insurance policy loan designed this way, the bank on yourself way, you're maximizing every finite dollar you get to touch in your life. So, okay, so far, let's kind of recap. We've talked about how this can help you go from normal bank financing and beat that game. We've talked about how it even beats paying cash. But what about other more savvy, sophisticated loan arrangements? You know, how do bank on yourself type policy loans stack up against 
401k loans? Or what about a HELOC, a home equity line of credit? What about other operations and like a margin loan on your brokerage account? So we're going to be getting into all that in next week's episode. So be sure to stay tuned. But in the meantime, remember, get our episodes as easily as possible. Because if you miss a few of these episodes, you're going to be missing some big key gaps in your knowledge and understanding of how these strategies have helped literally hundreds of thousands of Americans and Canadians all across this continent and beyond to the rest of the world. So make sure you're getting our episodes either delivered right to your email inbox or uh, subscribe and follow us at uh, your podcast player of choice. You can find all the links to get that at nyafinancialpodcast.com forward slash subscribe. But until then, guys, I want to say thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.